Good morning, church family. Today, our scripture reading is from Psalm chapter 2. If you are using a pew Bible, it will be on page 448. Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son today, I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of God. Good morning again, everyone. We're in the book of Psalms for the next five weeks or so. We're going to look at some Psalms of hope and encouragement. Who needs a little hope this morning? Yeah. Me too. Me too. We all do, don't we? Hope is an important thing, isn't it? Literally without hope, we, we would die. We would die emotionally, die spiritually, maybe even physically. When a person gives up, can lead to even a, a physical death. On a smaller scale, hope is what got you out of bed this morning. Maybe you didn't think about it that way, but you got out of bed. You'll get out of bed tomorrow because you hope it might be better than the day before. Or you'll hope that whatever you're looking forward to, that will come true today. It'll happen today. Hope is a powerful powerful thing. Psalm 2, it's a little rough. When you read it, you might not think hope. That might not be the first thing you feel when you, when you hear Psalm 2 read like we just did. But Psalm 2 is Psalm 2 for a reason. The Psalms aren't random. Maybe you don't know this. The Psalms aren't ordered in the way they're ordered by accident. Scribes put them in the order they wanted them to be in to make a point. Psalm 1 is Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 is Psalm 2 because those two Psalms together give us an outline of God's perfect man and God's perfect king. A man who upholds the law, Psalm 1, and a man who rules the world, Psalm 2. And there's hope in this person. There's hope in this king. 
We have hope this morning because there is a king on a throne, and he was placed there by God. His name is Jesus, and he is ruling. He's ruling the universe, and as long as he's in charge, our hearts can have hope. And so we're going to walk through this psalm together. We'll have three lessons. Our first lesson, we will never find refuge in humanity. First, let me give you the sermon title. I'm getting ahead of myself. Taking refuge in God's king. Taking refuge in God's king. It ends with that sentence, doesn't it? That phrase, take refuge in the king. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So number one, we will never find refuge in humanity. And yet this is, this is everything around us, isn't it? Is that we are our own refuge. Science will save us. Education will save us. Government will save us. We will save ourselves. And yet, the Scripture teaches quite the opposite. Psalm 2, why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, His Messiah. That's the word Messiah. Saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. You see, God's king is mankind's refuge, and yet the nations rage. Why do they rage? Why are the nations raging in these first three verses? Verse three, because when they think about God and when they think about his Messiah, Jesus, they see it as bondage. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. God's law, that's just bondage. God's king, that's just bondage. I can rule myself. I can determine my own law. I can determine what is good and what is evil for myself. And so therefore, I don't need a king over me. I can, I can self-determine. I can, I can self-actualize. I can do it. And if not, then the people I elected can do it, or the people that, that are ruling me can do it. And so because of sin, because of sin that's deep in our hearts, we have decided as a species that we don't need God and we don't need His King. We can make our own laws. We can make our own rules. And in so doing, we retain power. We reject God's justice. We reject God's law of love. Instead, we decide we can do this on our own. And so, you know, from a geopolitical point of view, we can look at Psalm 2 and we can interpret this, you know, geopolitically, and we say, are the nations raging against God today? Did anybody watch the news this morning? Are the nations plotting a vain thing today? Is Russia plotting a vain thing? 
Are they, is, is, is that leader raging against God? Is the government, this, this coup in Myanmar that happened a year ago, and now there's ethnic cleansing happening in that nation, is that raging against God? Is that, a, is that plotting a vain thing? Yes, it is. When, a, when secular nations like China or North Korea try to oppress those that are religious, they are raging against God. And when religious nations like Afghanistan or Saudi Arabia try to oppress those who want to be secular, they are raging against God and His justice. The nations rage. Listen, there's not a nation on this planet that's not raging against God. Even this one. Is the United States of America raging against God and plotting a, a vain thing? Yes. Yes, it is. If you think we're not, then you are deceived. We are not a city on a hill. Despite what John Winthrop said or Ronald Reagan, we are not a city on a hill. We are a raging nation that stands wanting to be supreme, wanting our own way, wanting our own form of justice, plagued by the sins of our fathers before us, same sins, self-righteousness, self-indulgence. Of course this is going to happen. If we go back to Genesis chapter 1 and, and 2, we see that mankind, God made Adam and Eve in a garden, right? And He gave them dominion and authority and rule. He made them as kings. He said, you're my kings. He told them to tend and keep the garden, priestly words. He made them as kings and priests over the planet. And yet, at the same time, they were meant to live in submission under His final authority. And so here's what we have. We have human beings were created to both rule and be ruled. Human beings were made to both rule and be ruled. Now throw sin and selfishness into that. And what do you get? You, you, you get what we got. <laughs> you get what we got. You, you get a whole lot of people that are desperate to be ruled by someone who will solve all our problems, and yet at the same time, don't tell me what to do. So here in America, every four years, we get, we get to say, woohoo, new Savior, and within two weeks, psh, don't tell me what to do. Right? That's the political cycle. In the Old Testament, it was Israel. Give us a king. Do you remember that? God, give us a king. We need a king. Why? Why did they cry for a king? Because their hearts were meant to be ruled. That's normal. That's natural. That's, that's how God made us. God made us to be ruled. But you know the history of Israel if you've done the Sunday school thing or if you've read through your Bible or whatever, and you know that king after king after king after king after king 
just took that power and grabbed hold of it and used it to their own selfish ends, didn't they? Over and over and over and over again. If only, if only there was a good and perfect king. God's king. Maybe even God's son. And what about individually? Let's get off the geopolitical. What about individually? Do, do you rage against God? Do you plot against him? I mean, I hope not. I hope not. Rage is a strong word, no doubt. Rage is a strong word. It's, you know, it's to, to be aroused against God. But maybe, maybe at times we rage against God. Let's, let's just be honest. Maybe we do it in much quieter ways, calmer ways, passive ways. But do you plot against the grace of God? Do you, do you rage against God's grace? Maybe it's idolatry. Maybe it's just you taking God's good things and making them into God. Maybe your family is your king. Maybe your new car is your king. Maybe your career progress is your king. I don't, I don't know. What's, what's ruling you? Maybe it's your own morality. Maybe, maybe being good is how you rage against God. I will, I will make God like me. I will make God bless me. I will be so good that he has to bless me. Okay? That's not grace. Maybe you go the other way, immorality. Maybe, maybe you're just rejecting God, raging against God with, with that consistent, immoral little corner of your life. Look, I'm pretty good on the other nine things. It's that tenth one. You know, okay, so I sleep with my girlfriend, so I sleep with my boyfriend, but I'm good, I'm good, I'm good on everything else. Maybe it's just apathy. Maybe you come to church, but you live the rest of your week like God who? You're a functioning atheist. He has no impact on anything else you do or say the rest of the week. Or maybe it's just your freedom. Look, listen to me. Young people, listen to me. You are being sold the narrative of freedom by every TV show, every movie. And listen, I love TV shows and movies. I'm not, I'm not saying stop. I'm saying understand what they're selling you. Every song, it's all selling you this narrative. You should rule you. Freedom is the ultimate good thing. Be you. Don't let anybody stand in the way of you being you. And maybe that is raging against faith in God in your heart. I know God says this, but I really want this. And everybody around me, all my friends, all my social, all the you know, people I follow on social, social media, they're all saying, you got to be you, you got to be you. All the celebrities are saying, you got to follow your heart. And, but God's saying this, and ah, who's going to win? Who's going to win this raging fight inside you? And that's not just kids, is it? That's, that's 52-year-olds. Who 
We want to be our own refuge, but we just can't. We can't be our own refuge. Why? Because we can't bear the weight of our own shame. What, what, what the Bible teaches us right from the beginning in Genesis is when Adam and Eve sin and they, and they are hit with shame, when shame comes down upon them, they don't run deeper into their own psyche. They don't, they don't find truth in their own hearts. They hide. They hide. And then they start blaming each other. Do you remember the story? That's what we all do. We can't be our own fortress. We can't be our own refuge. We need a refuge that will love us no matter what. We need a refuge that will protect us no matter what. We need a refuge that is perfect so that when we run into that refuge, we have everything we need, every desire satisfied within this safe place, dare I say, safe person. See, the church are the ones, Christians are the ones that have run into the refuge of Jesus Christ. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Come to me, run to me, kiss the Son. Kiss the Son. See, Christians confess grace alone through faith alone. We are saved by the grace of God alone through our faith alone. And you know what that allows us to do? It allows us to drop all of our other weapons, all of our political swords. It allows us to take, to, uh, take our hope away from everything else that will just let us down. Do you really believe that you are saved by grace alone through faith alone? The grace of God alone is what saves me. Or is it the grace of God and that new job? The grace of God and having kids. The grace of God and that law being passed or not passed or the Supreme Court nomination, nominee. Or what? Is it grace or not? Is it grace alone or not? Number two, find refuge in God's King, the Son. The Son. Verse four, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. The psalmist is using what's called an anthropomorphism. He's giving God human traits. God is laughing. God is mocking. And God is angry. He has fury. Why? Why is God laughing at us? Why, why is God shaking His head? Why is He angry? Why is He furious? Because we've rejected His King. Verse 6, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. See, listen, this is where we get an understanding of what sin is. Sin is not just, oops, that's not sin. Sin, sin, is, not, sin is not humanity trying our best. We, we tried, we just, we just kind of dropped the ball at the end. 
We made it to the two-yard line. We didn't cross the, the goal line, right? We tried, God. No. The Bible is showing us, Psalm 2 is showing us that sin is cosmic treason. It is us saying we don't need God's king. In, in Psalm chapter 1, it was a rejection of God's law. In Psalm chapter 2, it's a rejection of God's king. In Psalm chapter 1, the unrighteous reject the law of God. They're like chaff. In Psalm 2, the unrighteous reject the king. And they get literally pulverized by the rod of iron. You see, the Bible teaches clearly that Jesus Christ is the eternal God. He is the eternal Son of God. He is the eternal King of righteousness. Colossians chapter 1 says that by Jesus and through Jesus and for Jesus are all things. Everything exists by, through, and for Jesus. Who does that include? You. <laughs> Me. You exist from out of Jesus, through the act of Jesus, unto Jesus. He is your source. He is your goal. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is Alpha. He is Omega. All history is His story, isn't it? All life flows from Him. All time and space is His domain. Everything in this world only has meaning as far as it is attached to Jesus Christ. All authority is His. All glory is from Him and to Him. And as the psalmist says, all the nations and all the earth, verse 8, all the nations will be His inheritance and all the earth will be His possession. I'm trying to give you a high Christology this morning. I hope you don't just see Jesus as this really good guy who came to earth, he was alive on earth, and he taught us some really cool stuff about how to love each other, and then he died on a cross to prove how cool it is to die for what you believe in. If that's your version of Jesus, you haven't kissed the Son. You might as well substitute the word Jesus for any other really cool person, any other you know, great person, including yourself. Sin is not a noops. Sin is cosmic treason. You're not the king, Jesus is. And listen, that's good news. Everybody take a breath. Stay with me. I am not in charge of the universe. Now, doesn't that feel good? Man, that was therapy 101 right there. We did it. We did it. Listen, relax. Rest. The pressure's off. You don't know what you're doing anyway. Trust me. Let me, let me let you in on a little secret. 
the stuff in your life right now that is driving you crazy and stressing you out and that you are labeling as this big, huge deal, guess what? It's not. Like in the big scheme of the universe, your stuff is probably really small. You're probably obsessing with all these little things out here on the periphery instead of actually dealing with the one thing that's actually important, and that's how well you love. But you're out here like trying to manage your husband. It's like, who cares? Who cares? You're trying to control your kids' grades in, in like fifth grade? Fifth grade? Who cares? It's fifth grade. Some of you hate me right now. <laughs> you, you only learn these things when you, when you get a little older. And then you look back on it and you're like, did any of that even matter? No, no. What's the proper response? Verse 7. Let's identify our king. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. You see, this psalm is a coronation hymn. By that I mean it's a song that was written and it was sung every time a new king took the throne. So King David, King Solomon, King Rehoboam, King Joash, King Jeroboam, King Ahaz, King Hezekiah, whoever. As they become the king, this would have been sung. And what it's saying is, the king is the son of God. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. It's rooted in what's called the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel chapter 7. God, through the prophet Nathan, speaks to David, King David, and he says, David, listen, I'm going to make a covenant with you forever. You will be my son forever, and I will be your dad. And I'm going to build you a house forever, and you're going to be a king forever on a throne forever. And coming out of that covenant came this song. Today, you are my son. Today, I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage. And so they would sing this over and over and over every time there was a new king. What is God saying? He's trying to restore humanity back to our proper place. You see, when Adam and Eve were created, what were they? What did we say? They were kings and priests. They were kings and priests. They were meant to rule and serve and love. But then they sinned. They raged against God in the garden. They plotted a vain thing in the garden, didn't they? And as a result, they were exiled. They were kicked out of the garden. So then God rebooted with Israel, the, na the whole nation of Israel. Exodus 4, he says, Israel is my son. And so Israel was brought out of slavery, and they were brought into their garden, the promised land. And everything was right and perfect and good. And guess what they did? They raged. They raged against the Lord. They plotted a vain thing. And they were exiled. David. Okay, we're going to reboot with David and his line. David, you're my son. You're my king priest. 
But if you've read your Bible, you know that after David, every, every king, what's the trajectory of Israel? What's the trajectory of Judah? They rage. They plot. They rage. They plot. Did any of them fulfill these promises of Psalm 2? No. None were successful. Adam was not successful. Israel was not successful. Not even David was successful. There's only one who will be successful. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is the eternal son, the eternal king, who became a man from the line of David. He's the Lord over David who became the son of David. Woo! That's Psalm 2. He's, he's, from, he's fulfilling the Davidic covenant, and yet there's something different and special about this guy. And so when we look at the life of Jesus, when we look at the first coming of Jesus, do we see in the first coming of Jesus, Jesus as a king? It's a trick question. Don't answer too quickly. It's a trick question. When Jesus came, born in a manger, grew up, died on a cross, was he the king? And the answer is no and yes. Not in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense, he was crowned as the king of the universe, wasn't he? And so at his baptism, at his baptism, the heavens open up and God says these words, this is my beloved, what? Son. He's quoting Psalm 2. You are my son. Today I have begotten you at the mountain of transfiguration right before Jesus dies. He's up on the mountain and, and the heavens open again and God speaks and he says the same words, this is my beloved son, listen to him. In other words, he's in charge. Psalm 2, you are my son, today I have begotten you. You see, Jesus then went to the cross and the cross was his throne. His trial was his coronation. You remember it? What did they put on his head? A crown of thorns. What did they put on his body? A purple robe. Purple representing royalty. A, a, a robe without seam representing priesthood. They made him the king priest without even knowing it. What did they put on that title list above him, that, that document above his head on the cross? What did it say? King of the Jews. The, crowd, the, the cross was his coronation. The cross was his enthronement. And then he died. He died as the king priest who offered his own life as the sacrifice for all of his human brothers and sisters. So that the nation's church might become his inheritance. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation. And you see, one day Jesus will return again, won't he? Jesus had a first coming that we just described. He also has a second coming. And in his second coming, Jesus will come and he will rule from Mount Zion, the same mountain where he was crucified. He will rule in a new Jerusalem. And all, all who do not kiss him, all that do not bow to him, verse 9, he will break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. 
Listen to me. Listen to me. There's two options. There's two responses to Jesus Christ. You either kiss him or you reject him. You run to him as your refuge or you reject him. And when we reject God's king, well, it's not pretty. We are broken with a rod of iron and dashed in pieces like a potter's vessel. See, that's God's wrath. Say, Brady, why on earth should I submit to Jesus? Let me tell you something about King Jesus. Something that makes him different from every other king. He's, he already has everything. Okay, let that soak in. I know it sounds too simplistic. When you have, when you can't lose anything and you can't gain anything, when you have nothing to lose and nothing to gain, you're not on a power trip. I don't have to suppress anybody. I don't have to oppress. I don't have to be a dictator. I don't, ha I, I, I don't have to do that because I have everything. See, Jesus is not just a human king. He's God. And as eternal God, he already had everything his heart needed and desired. If, if God had never created humanity, God would have been fine. Do you all understand that? If God had never created a nation and never created an earth, and if God had never incarnated and he just kind of let us blow ourselves up, if God had done that, God would have been up in heaven going, I'm good, I'm good, good, you good, Holy Spirit, good, good, Jesus, good, yep, we're all good. We don't need it. They did it because they love, because they like to share. When you have a king who, who, has, who doesn't need to conquer because he's already ruling the whole universe, when you have a king who doesn't have to bring in the Ukrainians and, oh, we got we to read, we got oh, I got to get rid of this group of people because they, they're impure. When you have a king who doesn't have any of those issues, what do you have? You have a loving, kind, perfect king. Why should you submit to that kind of king? Why wouldn't you? And we know he loves us. We know he loves us because of the cross. Well, what if I don't submit to Christ? Well, then you're crushed. You know, one of the things that the Bible shows over and over again is, one, you know, when we start talking about God's wrath, God's wrath manifests itself often, Romans chapter 1, God's wrath manifests itself often by God just, just saying, do whatever you're going to do. Do what you're going to do. Listen, Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. Amen? In Acts chapter 4, Peter said that, the, he quotes Psalms, Psalm 2, and he says, the nations raged against Jesus. And by that, he means Rome and the temple leadership of Israel. And when Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday, guess who was still in charge? Rome and the temple leadership of Israel. Jesus didn't walk out of the grave, pull lightning bolts out of his holsters, pow! <laughs> he didn't do that. 
Rome was still Rome. The temple leadership was still the temple leadership, right? Is Rome still Rome? No. The answer is no. History, history y'all didn't pay attention in seventh grade history. Come on now. A couple hundred years later, a bunch of barbarians came in and, and destroyed the whole thing, right? Hey, let me ask you this. Is the temple still the temple? Is the temple still the temple? Or has it been pulverized? In 70 AD, the Romans came in and pulverized the temple. A few hundred years later, barbarians came in and pulverized the Romans. See, that's what God does. God just lets us keep going. That's God's wrath. God says, look, if you don't want to submit to me and to my king, good luck. Oh, you want money to be your king? You'll probably end up destroyed by greed. Oh, you want sex to be your king? You'll probably be destroyed by lust. Oh, you want religion and morality to be your king? You'll probably be destroyed by guilt. You want beauty to be your king? You're probably going to destroy your whole life with vanity. You want your performance to be your king? Your perfectionism's probably going to destroy you and pulverize you. Submit to Christ. By faith, we run to Him as our refuge. Listen. There's only one, ultimately, ultimately, this is what the Bible tells us. Ultimately, on the final day, on the day of days, ultimately, there's only one thing that can destroy us. God. God. But what happens when you know that God doesn't want to destroy you? That he just wants to love you. What happens when you know that when when you know that nothing in this life can actually destroy you? The one person who can destroy you because you're in Christ, because you've run into his king for refuge, because you've submitted and kissed the son, because you've said, Jesus, you are my king, because you've said that, everything else, nothing else can destroy you. The one God who can destroy you won't. Where does that leave your heart? Are you with me? It leaves you so free, so full. It allows you to just, just... Like we said, like, take a breath. Life. Life. Okay, number three. What do we do now? How do we live? We're in the refuge, talking to Christians now. This point is for Christians. As the church, how do we live within the refuge of the Son? Let's walk through it, starting in verse 7, real fast. Verse 7, you are my son. When you are in Christ, you become a son of God, a daughter of God. Christian, how do you live from the refuge of Jesus, from the fortress of Jesus? You live as a son, as a daughter. You're not a peasant. You're not a beggar in this kingdom. 
You're Mephibosheth, people. You hear me? Mahubaha. Mephibosheth. <laughs> Mephibosheth. You're the outcast enemy of King David who should have been killed, but when he was brought to the king's house, the king said, no, you are my son, you sit at my table, you live in my palace, and you get a huge inheritance. That's what we are. That's how you live from the refuge of Jesus Christ as sons. Verse, verse 8, ask of me. Christian, start asking Some of you have given up on asking. Some of you have given up on praying. Some of you have given up on the whole concept of I'm God's child. If I ask of him, he will give to me. If I ask for what his heart wants, he's going to give it to me. Father, increase my heart of love. Increase my desire to know you. Increase my desire to care for others. Is God going to say no to a prayer like that? No, I don't. I, no, he's a good dad. Isn't that exactly how Jesus taught us to pray? Our Father. Ask, verse 8, ask. Verse 8 again, make the nations the inheritance of Christ. Look, the promise to Jesus. So, verse 8 is a promise from the Father to the Son. The Father is saying to the Son, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. Listen, Christian, church, that's our marching orders is to make the nations the inheritance of Christ. That's why we witness. That's why we make disciples. That's why we uphold the truth. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why we send missionaries around the globe. That's why we pray for unreached people groups from the pulpit. Why do we do that? Because the nations are Jesus's inheritance. And if I work for team Jesus, if I'm in the kingdom of Jesus, then I want Jesus to get his inheritance. That should have gotten a better amen. Verse 9, pulverize our enemies' arguments. Yes, Jesus is going to break us with the rod of iron. He's going to break his enemies and dash them to pieces. Listen, so I'm supposed to get in fights and beat up people? No, (laughs) no. But the Apostle Paul says this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul says this. The weapons of our warfare are not fleshly but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. See, we're in a battle. We're in a war. If you're, in, if, you're, if you're on team Jesus, if you're in Jesus' kingdom, you are in a war. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against arguments and ideas. And what we're able to do is we're able to put them up against the truth. Christian, you have the truth. It's called the gospel. And you can put every other idea up against it. Young people, you can put every other idea and scheme, everything that you're being told in, in, the, in the wherever, wherever you're being told it, and you can say, is that really, is that really what the gospel says? Is that actually honoring God? Is that actually loving others? Is living out what I claim to be my sexual identity, does that actually love others? 
Is seeking, my, following my own heart, is that actually loving others? Parents, is the self-esteem movement, is that actually the gospel? No, it's not. And we can put it up against and we can pull down those strongholds. Verse 11, we can serve with fear. Serve the Lord with fear. Serve the Lord with fear humbly. Serving without judging others. Serving without feeling like you're God's gift to the church. Serve, but with fear. Don't be afraid to serve. And don't be pompous about your service. Rejoice with trembling, verse 11. Rejoice with trembling. Check your emotions. Christian, your emotions should constantly be mixed. Constant rejoicing, constant trembling. Not taking myself so seriously, I'm rejoicing. It's a gift. There's lots of good to rejoice in every single day. And at the same time, trembling that there is a son, there is a king who will, who will dash those who don't trust in him. And then verse 12, kiss the son. Church, may we never, ever, ever as a church stop worshiping Jesus Christ as our Lord in this place. And I'm saying that to myself up here right now because it happens. We hear about it every day. Some of you are in this church right now because you've said to me, Brady, I wanna go, I'm going to go to Grace because the church I was going to, they just stopped preaching Jesus. Right? Some of you could raise your hand and say, yep, that's, that's why I started coming here. Because where I was going, they just stopped preaching Jesus. May we never stop kissing the Son, singing about Him, making a big deal about Him, worshiping Him, bowing down to Him. And then finally, blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Church, Grace Baptist Church, listen, may we always be a refuge. May this place, this body, this family always be a refuge for all that would come in here and find peace and love and acceptance and grace and mercy. Like Pastor Mark always says, you come as you are, we'll accept you any way you are, and then we're going to love you so much that it's going to change you. That's what the church should be. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. How do people take refuge in Christ today? In the body of Christ in the body of Christ. Be that refuge. Christian, be that refuge for someone. Represent Christ in that way. I know you can. I know you will. Let's pray. Jesus, we bow before you. We kiss the Son. Because we have run into you as our refuge, all who have done that, we know that you're not angry at us. God, I lift up anybody here this morning who hasn't run to Jesus, who hasn't found refuge in Him alone. May they do it even now. May they do it even now. God, I pray for us as a church. May we never stop worshiping You, Jesus. May we never stop being a refuge of Your love for all who would find their way 
through the doors. And we pray this in your name. Amen.